0: One and six. In four ninety eight stands as one and six. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has cleansed me severely, chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. A prayer of confidence in the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 118, the last half, verse 15 through 29, is uh, the psalm for the week. Rejoicing is characteristic of the Christian faith. Uh, I've been grateful for this past year to have that actually accented by deprivation, so to speak. In other words, being deprived of something causes you to rethink certain things. So our boast is in the Lord Jesus and the certainty of salvation that he won for us. That's expressed in this psalm. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, is the Father's right-hand man. You know, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. That's a reference to Christ. And he has secured salvation for us. He is also the Lord. So the Father is the Lord, the Son is the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is the Lord. And yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. And that use of the word Lord, the The God, the eternal God of the promise of salvation. But of our Lord Jesus, the Lord's right hand man, he is our righteousness. He is the stone which the high priest and the Sanhedrin rejected. He is the cornerstone of the church. He is our righteousness, and his righteousness is the gate through which we, the justified, enter into eternal fellowship with God, the Holy Trinity. He is salvation. He is the Lord, and he is our God. Uh, God, Elohim, the generic term, you know, a chicken could be your God. The Chicago Cubs could be your God. Those would be terrible gods. But people make them as gods. But the Lord, his proper name, I am who I am. The Lord, he is God, and there is none other. His mercy endures forever because of what Christ has done, we shall live, and death cannot destroy us. The day of his death and resurrection is the Lord's doing. So this is the day which the Lord has made. We sing that so often during Eastertide. Today is the 50th day, and it's both the, the, the culmination, if you will, of the resurrection celebration and the anticipation of and beginning of the Pentecost cycle. Next Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Trinity. So this is, uh, uh, this is the day which the Lord has made. Uh, let us rejoice and be glad in it. When we sing that on Easter, it is anchoring Easter into Good Friday. So death and resurrection held together. This is the Lord's doing. Out of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there comes resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility, new life and fellowship with God forever. No wonder the psalmist then says, let us rejoice and be glad in it. So we will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, so central to the Passover celebration in the Old Testament, was rightly applied to Jesus on Palm Sunday. Save now is where we get the word Hosanna. Save now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the true Passover lamb, the true sacrifice that was bound to the altar of the cross, and the high priest whose blood establishes an eternal righteousness that covers all our sin. No wonder every day is a day of rejoicing in the midst of grief and sorrow Christ is our righteousness, our salvation, therefore we have nothing to fear. So let us pray. We will praise you, O Lord Jesus, for you are our salvation and our righteousness. Enliven the praise of your church that every faithful Christian may confess your holy name and sing of your righteousness and mercy all the days of our life. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, One God, now and forever. This theme of rejoicing, I've been um, thinking about more and more. Uh, Some of you are faithful and regular listeners to uh, issues, etc. They have so many uh, great guests. For example, uh, this uh, Rod Dreher, who wrote The Benedict Option and also Live Not By Lies and so forth. Um, But the thing that occurred to me listening to some of these podcasts while mowing my lawn and doing things like that is without singing, the dark clouds of the latter days become awfully depressing. Okay? One of the reasons why I encourage you to come to funerals of members, even if they're not your relatives, And just want to dissuade you from the idea, well, that's a family thing. I I, I don't want to intrude. No, please intrude. Because you are their family in the faith. And to support them by singing, you know, Jesus Christ is risen today. I know that my Redeemer lives. He lives my Jesus still the same. You know, to sing in the face and the teeth of death or in the teeth of the dark clouds that cover the earth and the threat of Christian persecution, that is the way of faith. This is why sing to the Lord a new song, as I repeated again at Friday night's concert, is the most frequent imperative in the scriptures. Because it's not as if dogma, doctrine, sort of exists here, and you got all the right stuff learned, and you're all great. But it is lived out in our lives in the face of suffering, sorrow, sickness, and death, because singing expresses the confident hope of the resurrection to eternal life, Okay, So we sing at a funeral. And we sing at all of the great celebrations of salvation. And we sing even in the dark times of life, and especially then. All right. Uh, This week in the Bible Narratives, uh, we hear the the Ascension Pentecost uh, narratives from Acts, starting with Acts 1.1. Theophilus, when you read that, means lover of God. So Luke wrote his second volume, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, a second volume to the Gospel of Luke, and he refers to the former account, his Gospel. Uh, Now he's going to put in order uh, the things pertaining to Jesus' ministry by the apostles, and that's the Acts of the Apostles. You've got the choice of Matthias, the Feast of Pentecost itself, and then uh, in that Acts chapter 2, Joel's prophecy, and finally the culmination with the call of the church to repentance and that by which she is known, uh, the breaking of the bread and the apostles' doctrine and prayer from now till Jesus comes again in glory. The readings uh, on the second reading this week are all selected to tie in thematically with the narrative reading. So I encourage you. And then finally, our last uh, section from the table of duties is this week widows and to everyone. And there are prayers for widows and for widowers, not to be excluded, as well as prayer for everyone. So let us speak together. What does God's word say to widows? The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the the widow widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. lives. Heavenly Father, comfort all widows who have lost their husbands and are left all alone. Give them strength and courage to put their hope in you and to cry out to you for help night and day. In their loneliness and sorrow, draw them closer to your divine service and deliver them from the temptation to seek fulfillment from the pleasures of life that can never truly satisfy Teach them to believe that they have a sacred calling as widows, to live by faith in the greater bridegroom, who has laid down his life for his bride, and in whom alone are pleasures forevermore. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And what does God's Word say to everyone? The commandments are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Let us pray. O Lord, as you have loved us in place of yourself and thereby fulfilled all of God's law on our behalf, teach us to walk by faith in your love in all that we do to live in love and self-sacrifice toward one another in our callings, and to pray for everyone in need, seeking not our own glory, but the welfare and salvation of our neighbor. In your holy name we pray. Amen. And that leads us to the verse for the week, which is short because the last week of school is always a challenge to receive by heart. But it's also fitting because the end of the table of duties, we love him because he first loved us. It's from 1 John 4, verse 19, the Apostle John, who refers to himself as the Apostle whom Jesus loved, speaks so much in his gospel about the love of God in Christ and then catechizes us further in his first epistle on the meaning. So let's speak it together. We love him because he first loved us. And the him is especially referring to Christ. We love God, yes, but especially Christ. We love him because he first loved us. If you love me this morning on Pentecost, you will keep, hold fast, trust in my commandments, my words. Uh, So he first loved us in his suffering and death upon the cross for our salvation. That is the engine for us loving Him. Again, we he love Him because He first loved us. So the pink color is supposed to correspond to Pentecost, uh, a, a, a lightened red. Well, I think it. I think it does the a readable red. Yeah, if it's a dark red, you wouldn't be able to read the print, and we don't. We can't. We don't have the capacity to print, well, we could, but it would cost a lot. Uh, white ink on dark red paper, not so good, okay? And then let me, let me go ahead and clear up some details because I know, as you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I know uh, inquiring minds want to know, I didn't realize that the top of my head would be visible. Um, and it came from um, dealing with my apple trees. So I smashed the top of my head in, on my apple trees, so, okay. And then uh, the other thing drawn to my attention today is that Beth does cut my hair. So if, if you wish for her also to cut my eyebrows or to trim those, please please let her know. My, my left eyebrow does get a little bit crazy so I, I don't know, so, and then finally, Finally, the reference to turkeys. I, I really didn't realize turkeys, I knew they could fly, but I didn't realize they, they, they really can get up in the air. And um, I've got a little bit of, how old are you, Caleb? 13, yeah. I've got a little bit of 13-year-old boy left in me. So when they're out picking on things in my backyard and I don't want them there, there were two this last week. So I ran out in the morning at 7 something. And I ran straight at them. Get out of here, you lousy turkeys. And then they turned abruptly to the west. Well, there's the asters and and fencing there. And then they turned to the north, and there's fencing there. And then they turned to the the east, and there's tall pine trees. So then they turned to the south, and they had enough distance before the extra garage to get off the ground like B-52 bombers. (laughs) And then the one of, I thought, the, the, the trailing turkey was not going to make it. That was going to be a crash into the peak of the extra garage. They just cleared it. And then they continued to ascend until they went the top, across the road, the very top of a tree. But there's no branches there that are strong enough to hold them. So they try to light and then they proceed to fall down <laughs> through the trees. <laughs> Some of the most inelegant uh, creatures what's the All creatures, great and small, okay? So there, now I've, I've brought you up to date on all things we like to do in, in Bible class. All right, Saul, as we, uh, throughout the, the summer, uh, we'll be wrapping up the, uh, kind of a survey of the Old Testament. Saul is the first king of the monarchy. You know, they were in Egypt, for about 400 years, 430 years, and then the Lord redeems them from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. And then because of their rebellion at Mount Sinai in the worship of the golden calf, there's 40 years of wilderness wandering, and that 40 years of wilderness wandering corresponds to our own wilderness wandering, our pilgrimage in this vale of tears where we're constantly uh, confronted by uh, the weaknesses of our own uh, flesh. The stanza four of the hymn that began the service today for Pentecost 499, our uh, mortal state invigorate, you know, apart from the invigorating, it's it's the imparting of life by the Spirit, you know, our mortal state just uh, decays into its decrepit, Uh, nature since the fall. But uh, after that 40 years, remember the the beginning of those 40 years of wilderness wandering was the Red Sea crossing. The end, when they entered the promised land, what crossing there? Jordan. Jordan. And this has long been uh, held up as a pattern of the baptismal life. So Red Sea crossing, baptism, you are baptized into christ to begin the christian pilgrimage and then the jordan river crossing there's hymns that reflect this is when the baptized christian dies and the soul goes to be with the lord to await the resurrection there's the jordan river crossing so the promised land becomes a picture of heaven uh, in the sure and certain hope of the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection Right, so there's lots of patterns like that in the Old Testament that help us think about uh, New Testament realities that the Gospel proclaims. So then after the, they enter into the Promised Land, it is the period of the Judges for, again, about 400 years. So they're easy to remember, you know, 440, 40, 400. And at the end of the period of the Judges, Samuel is not only the last of the Judges, is not only a prophet, but he's the last of the judges. And why are they called judges? As we have discussed, it's because God governs them through the judgment of the Torah, the the word of God given to Moses. And so it was a reflection of the Lord God was their king. So when they demand a king, they do so to be like the nations around them, And in so doing, they reject the Lord as their king. So the theme as we move forward, the king that they chose crashes and burns, so to speak, Saul. The man after God's own heart, whom he chooses, David, is a picture of the greater son of David, Christ. So any of those types You know, in the Old Testament, only goes so far, they're not the real thing. Christ is the real thing. So in the monarchy, there are three kings: Saul, David, and Solomon, David's son, which and Solomon is the form of the word peace. So what do you call the son of a king? A prince. So Solomon's name, meaning peace, so he's the prince of peace, see, but not the real McCoy, okay? There's the greater prince of peace, okay, namely Jesus, okay? So um, 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, central thoughts for you. Israel's demand to have a king was a sign that they had rejected the Lord as their king. Second central thought, the Lord gave them what they desired so that they would come to realize their sin and their need for him. And this is a pattern throughout the Old Testament. Remember, they demanded meat, so he gave them meat, not turkeys, but quail, until the quail meat started to come out of their nostrils, so to speak. Okay? Third central thought, because of his promise of salvation, the Lord will not forsake his people, but continually calls them to repentance and faith that they might receive his forgiveness. So his saving acts are entirely on the basis of his promise of salvation, not upon their worthiness. So even in the Old Testament, salvation is by grace, not by works. All right, so first Samuel chapter 8, 1 through 10. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. So when they're elevated to position of judgeship, rather than ministering their office with integrity, they corrupt themselves through self-centeredness and covetous desires for gain, monetary enrichment, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now this is a common pattern that we see. Was there anything inherently wrong with the office of judge that the Lord had established? No, but just because someone doesn't minister faithfully in that office doesn't mean the office should be thrown out. You talk about office of father and mother, God's institution of marriage and family. Are there husbands who abuse their wives? Therefore, we should eliminate the office of husband. No. Are there parents who abuse their children? Yes, therefore we should, you know, disavow any notion of fatherhood and motherhood, but get rid of it. Just because there's abuse of an office does not mean elimination of that office. In fact, the opposite is the case. The abuse of one's office and authority establishes and makes a case for the right and proper use of that office and those who find themselves in it. But instead, the children of Israel demand a king and in so doing, reject the Lord as their king. The key comes in, make for us a king to judge us like all the nations have a king. Okay? I shall resist the temptation to... Make us just like the former Soviet Union. That'll be better. Be careful what you ask for. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. What? For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. Now this teaching he had already clearly given to them. In the covenant itself, to remain faithful and true to the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to hold fast and keep the Torah that he had given on Mount Sinai, things would go well for them. But if not, things will not go well. They already had the full warning of what it would mean to turn away from the Lord as their king and his word as the source of their life, Okay, So if they're not going to believe the word when it is spoken and had been spoken repeatedly by the judges throughout the 400 years, remember the cycle of the judges? Everything would be great. Then they would turn away from the Lord's word. Then he would raise up a nation that would afflict them. Then they'd cry, oh, what have we done? Oh, have mercy. And then the Lord would raise up a judge to deliver them. And the cycle happened all over again. So now here, all right, you're going to insist. It's, it's amazing how, be careful about insisting on things from the Lord. You may do so as long as what you insist on has a clear promise of God's word. But when what you insist upon goes against God's word, all right, you may learn the hard way the truthfulness of God's word. But even there, what he inflicts upon them or upon us is not out of hatred, but out of love. All right, so heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So what the Lord is underscoring with Samuel is that this has been the pattern. Throughout the 400 years of Judges, dating back to the time that they left Egypt in the first place, nothing has changed. No wonder Stephen, in his preaching to the Jews after the resurrection, calls them a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. And then skip down to verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, you got to do this the way the inflection should be. No, no, but we will have a king. We want a king. I want a king. I want a king. (laughs) Because that's what they're having. That we also may be like all the nations. I mean, they're so cool, those nations. And the church is tempted to this today, you know. The church looks so pathetic in the world. We can't beat the world. So if you can't beat the world, join the world. And then if you join the world, what's the point of the church? You might as well just close down the churches and be the world. Okay? There was a church I went by this past, or about a week and a half ago, not too far from us here. And I I know the church is not technically closed, but it looks like it. Grass is overgrown, gardens are non chem it looks like nobody's home. And of course the doctrine reflects that, it's the doctrine of the world, and no one is home. So how the church cares for her, her things is a reflection of what she believes is important. So we might be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us to fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. So, in chapter 9, Saul is chosen to be king. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He is the son of Kish. And he starts out in a good way. Okay, so he doesn't start out in a bad way. He starts out in a good way. There is an incident, however, in chapter 10, where they're seeking him. And he's hiding because he does not want to do the work that he is called to do as king. Be careful. That sounds like a noble virtue. Oh, I just couldn't do it. But what sounds like a noble virtue, oh, I just couldn't do it, is not noble if the Lord calls you to do it. So you might feel as if you're inept as a husband, but if you're married, you have a calling before God. You can't say, well, I can't do it. Or if you're called to be a father, you might have a sense of your own unworthiness, and that's not bad. But God has given you work to do in that office. So the feigning of humility can actually be the other side of a kind of uh, works righteousness or self-reliance. And the proof of that will come later on with Saul as he turns defiant against the Lord. And just as the children of Israel, you know, we know best, we know best Give us a king. In a lot of ways, Saul hears the word of the Lord delivered to him by Samuel and says, Yes, but I will do it this way, uh, as if he knows best. All right, so in chapter 10, he is proclaimed king. And I draw your attention to verse 17, 18, and 19, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. I, the Lord, have done that without a what? Without an earthly king. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no. And it's, it's as if the Lord is saying to them, the salvation that I gave to you in bringing you out of Egypt, in delivering you at the Red Sea, in sustaining you throughout your wilderness wandering in bringing about the conquest of Jericho and the crossing of the Red Sea, you said, yes, but that ain't good enough. No, but set a king over us, now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had uh, caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, By their families, the family of Matru was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the peoples. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. All right. And then in chapter 12, there is the coronation of the king. But I'm going to pause here to see if you have some thoughts or questions you would like to ask or state. Pastor Gelbot. Um, you re- didn't reject God, your God, a very personal relationship, not that, that he's emphasized here, that you know, there's a this relationship between you and the Lord, and um, just to say, you rejected God, you know, your God, you know, very... Uh, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, your God who redeemed you, right. yeah. Other thoughts, Lord Wallace. I'm not, can you explain, I'm not sure what you mean by saying I thought when they asked for a king it was because they wanted to put the kibosh on the little things. I I don't, I don't follow what. The minor infractions of the law. The minor infractions of the law. Right. Where did you get that idea? I'm just in my head right now. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, um, I'm, I, I'm sure they wanted to put the kibosh on both the minor and the major infractions of the law, um, all of which would be a rejection of the Lord as their king. Remember, and we've, we've talked about this at great length at Coffee Break Bible Study, where we've been in the Old Testament, going all the way back to like the book of Leviticus and the worship there, the, the wor- Israel's worship was very odd to the other nations around them. Very peculiar because, among other things, not only did the congregation uh, sacrifice daily, according to the call of the Lord, in corporate confession and absolution, but there were all kinds of sacrifices done because they were sinful. And so this tabernacle, because at this time there is no temple. There's only the tabernacle. This outdoor altar, the kinds of rituals that surrounded it, really set them off from all of the other ancient people. And here in this, talking about your major and minor infractions, Wally. Characteristic of the nations that surrounded them is when they're looking at them, they're seeing, man, they can do whatever they want. Their gods allow them to do whatever they want. If they don't like their biological gender, they can trade it in for something else. They can be all that they can be. Okay? They can follow whatever appetites of the flesh that they want because the idols of those nations that surrounded them were projections of the covetous desires of the people's hearts. So this is the attraction, okay, to be like others because those others get to do what their hearts desire. Never mind that the heart is sinful and desperately wicked. You know, Jesus says, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, false witness. You know, other than that, the human heart is in great shape. But this is part of the attraction to throw off the Lord as their king to follow the other gods. There was a... Jeremy, did you have a... Yeah, did you God really out. say? You start out with one law, don't uh. cut or don't, you know, eat of the fruit of the knowledge, good and evil. Yeah, so when you hear, when the call of the gospel comes to us, or when Jesus says certain things like, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The self-denial called for there is the denial of the appetites of the sinful flesh. Now, the reason why the Lord says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, it means renounce your sinful flesh and its Adamic nature. The second service, we have confirmation where we hear that. Why does he say that? Again, not because he's a stick in the mud. Okay? Okay. So, Gabrielle, your parents are not just stick in the muds when they give you rules, see? They, they actually love you and desire what's best for you and what's good for you and what will benefit your life. Not that she's rebelling. I'm just using this. Okay? But when we see the prohibitions of the Lord or the call to deny yourself, you think, I am being denied what I have coming to me. Is, think, look at the world in which we live. Do you think think we don't have enough self-centeredness? Do we not have enough of people saying, I will do this, I will do this my way? We we certainly don't have anywhere near enough of that, do we? We need more of it. But that's the way of the sinful flesh. So when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, what does a cross do to the self? It kills it. A cross leads to death. What needs to die is the old Adam in us. You may may have some pet idea that your flesh is in love with, but if it's contrary to the word of God, it not only needs to die, but it will not lead to life. And that's what God God wants you actually to have life. And in order to have life, what's got to be put to death is the Dross, the sin, the rebellion, okay? So to deny oneself is to deny any reliance upon myself, my own appetites and desires, my own will, which is an enmity with God, and to cling to Christ alone. If you love me, you will keep my words. Again, that's not a legalistic statement. His words give life. His words give salvation. His words reconcile us to God. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Okay. He gave them what they wanted in Saul, uh, and he was uh, a handsome fellow, but in the end they learned by experience the things, the folly of their mistrust. Carrie? the sinful flesh. I mean, repeat that if you didn't hear. It's like we're being denied what we've got coming to us when we're really denying that which we should have coming coming to us that God wants us to have, which is the fullness of life, not only in this world, but in the life to come through Christ. Okay. So what we'll take up next week with King Saul is this, uh, this rebellion. We'll hear some of Saul's Uh, Samuel's address at Saul's coronation, and then Saul's rejection because he uh, becomes a pastor when he had no call and ordination to officiate at the divine service. So be careful. Don't think. All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.